this morning, um, this kind of metaphor has um, been thinking about for, for today. Um, if you ever like built a fire, a campfire, you ever gone camping and, you know, you, you, you gather the wood, right, and you, and you put it in the middle of the, the campground and, and you assemble everything and you get the, um, just get everything set up. But isn't it true that there is, there's no fire, there's no warmth unless there's like uh, literally some fire, like nothing happens in, in, unless the fire comes. And, and that's kind of how I felt this morning, like coming in that, that all week, you know, I felt like I've just been gathering the wood and I've done everything I can to, to just get ready. And it just felt like it hasn't been enough. And, and I come in here this morning and I'm going, man, God, we've, we've built this thing. You've, you got out of bed this morning. And you made the choice to come here, and, and you're here, and, and I don't know all the things that are, are going in your heart and in your life, but the fact that you came here to be in the presence of God with the people of God says something, but the reality is we can sing some good songs, and we can eat some delicious communion bread, and, and we can listen to a, a time of teaching, but unless the Spirit's fire just comes and He fills us, God, nothing will happen, nothing will change. Does that resonate? Like, like so often we just come here, and it's just everything we can do to get through the doors, and we go, God, we, we want you. We don't just want to play it safe. We don't just, we don't just want to show up. We, we want your presence. We want your nearness, right? Like, that's, that's why we come here. Amen? Okay, so, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just put our hands out. We're going to pray one more time. And I want you to think about what is something or what is a bunch of things that would keep the fire of God from just falling in your life this morning, like, what are the things that the enemy is trying to do? What are the things that, that he is trying to, to work in our lives that would keep us from hearing and being changed and from bearing good fruit for the kingdom of God? And I've just been praying this morning that, that God would come on. He would just flip on the light switches. And like a burglar who's been operating in the night in the house, that we would see clearly the work of the enemy in our lives, so that we can know clearly what God is really trying to do for us. Does that sound good? Let's put our hands out. Let's just pray. I'm going to give us a minute just to sit and quiet after I just open us up in prayer. And so, Father, we want you. We want to know your voice. We want to walk with you. And the enemy and our flesh and this world, it keeps us from hearing your voice. And so, God, I pray that in this next just moment of silence that you would search our hearts, that you would allow us to, um, that you would call to our attention, put in our minds the things that would keep us from hearing you this morning. And like Romans 16 says, that the God of peace, that you would just stamp the enemy and that your fire would fall this morning. So search our hearts. tender and loving Heavenly Father, all the places that the enemy is working this morning, defeat him. Would you open our ears to hear you? Would you open our hearts? 
get past the hardness and the resistance and just come all the way in, Lord. We pray that we would not miss you this morning. Jesus, that you would minister to us, that you would open our eyes. Holy Spirit, that you would just be present, that you would speak powerfully and clearly. And all the things that God would keep us from hearing you, destroy them this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're in the middle of studying through the book of Ephesians, just going verse by verse, trying to hear what God has for us as a community, what he has for us as individuals. And so I want to read our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let me begin by this, with this analogy. Um, because it's hockey time here in Smashville, and uh, the, the Predators are in the Western Coast Finals, how many of you have seen the great and timeless trilogy, The Mighty Ducks? Have any of you... A lot of you. You know, I was thinking about uh, D2. The Mighty Ducks are back um, on, on Thursday. And, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, came out in 94. If you haven't seen it now, my guess is you're not going to see it. And so I'll just, I'll tell you about it. You know, the, there's this group of hockey players, guys and girls from all over the United States. And, and they come from all these different cities and backgrounds and different recreational teams. And they come together to play for this national team to represent the USA. In the movie, like part of the movie is them kind of learning and struggling to, um, to become a new team. They had all their preferences for how to play their games, all the styles that they had been coached in, all their backgrounds, but until they could and learn to embrace their new identities as players for representatives of the USA, there'd be no unity. There'd be nothing but strife and division. Invite us to, to, to hold on to that analogy. It's going to be important for us as we work our way through this text this morning. The language that Paul uses here in Ephesians 2 is honestly just outdated in a lot of ways, if I can say that. It's confusing to us. We read it and we're tempted just to blitz right through it and to get to something that speaks more into our situation. But, but the reality is for the original audience, the language that Paul uses would have been loaded with so much meaning. It would have been so familiar. And what Paul is doing here is he is speaking into some of the cultural and the religious tensions 
and the accusations that were being spoken against the Christians. Voices that were creating confusion and doubt for those who were really trying to follow Jesus Christ. I want to give us two words to think about today as we work our way through this text, as we try to, to bring this story and this, these words into our world, the word pride and the word privileges. Those words are loaded with meaning even in our context, aren't they? Pride and privileges. Let's talk about this idea of pride for a minute. From a Jewish perspective, okay, um, for the Jewish people in the first century, the way they viewed the world is there were two groups of people. There were the Jews, a.k.a. Israel, a.k.a. the circumcision, a.k.a. the Hebrews. And then there was everyone else, known as the Gentiles. People from every other uh, country, from every other color, every other language. And this is how a first century Jew would have seen the world, Jew and Gentile. To give us a little background, you know, the Jews or the nation of Israel were very important to God. If you've ever heard of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if you've ever heard of Hannah and David and Solomon, if you've ever heard of Ruth and Esther, all Jewish people. And they all understood that God had chosen Israel, chosen the Jews to be his special people, the one nation that he would set apart, that he would work through to bless all the other nations in the world. They were the nation. And the people... That God himself would come through, through Jesus Christ, to redeem and save the entire world. And this was the Jewish people's heritage. The pride of the Jewish people. They were God's favored. They were God's chosen. They were God's set-apart people. And I learned this this week. Many of you guys might have even known this. But the, the temple, even the way the temple was set up, Jews could go further in than Gentiles could. There was literally a wall that kept Gentiles from going all the way in. You know, could you imagine this? Like you show up to worship on Sunday morning and only the Jews could, could have a seat in here and worship as much as you wanted to, to come in here and, and be a part of this. And unless you were Jewish, um, you're standing, you know, the Jews, Jewish people got to sit in here. The rest of us were standing outside the door looking, wanting to be inside. Could you imagine wanting to have access, wanting to have friendship, wanting to have connection with God and God's people, but not being able to. This is a Jewish world, the, the Gentiles, the rest of the world. People from every other nation, of every color, of every language. And this is the majority of us, unless you grew up Jewish. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And this is what Paul writes in verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the, or the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. Why in the world does he tell them this? People had spent their whole lives being on the outside. Why in the world does he say, hey, remember that there was a time. Ben, remember that there was a time when you were not good with God. And Josh, remember that there was a time that, that, that you had no hope in this life. And Nana, remember that there was a time when you were completely disconnected from God. Will, remember that there was a point in your journey where you did not know God. Can, can you imagine like getting this letter and Paul going, Jonathan, remember there was a time in your life when you were not connected to the, the Father's heart. It's like, why in the world does he write this? 
there's something to remembering. But why? Let's keep reading. I think he answers the question. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself, he is our peace who has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. And so there's so much here. Which we had hours to unpack this. We don't, you don't either. I think Paul is speaking to the Jewish Christians and he's speaking to the Gentile Christians here. And I think he's speaking into the things that so often we tend to take pride in. I think he's speaking into those areas that we so often try to find all of our worth and all of our value in. And I think what Paul does is he just, is he levels us. Is he levels the Jews and the Gentiles. And he elevates Christ. He invites us to have our, our pride be in our Savior. Think about this. What are the things that, that we are proud of? It's like, Russ, what are the things that you're proud of in life right now? Bailey, what are the things you're proud of? We're proud of our degrees, right? We're proud of our work, the things that we create, the things that we make with our hands. We're proud of our children. We're proud of our looks, our accomplishments. We're proud of things. For the Gentiles, for a lot of us, we tend to take pride in our, in our spiritual accomplishments. We take pride in our, in our own good works. And so if I were to ask you, you know, what are you proud of in your spiritual journey right now? It's like, Lee, what are you proud of right now in your spiritual journey? Christopher, what are you proud of in your spiritual journey right now? Josh, what are you proud of in your spiritual journey right now? And we probably... Maybe not all of us, but, but a lot of us, we, we, we can answer that question. Man, I'm proud that, that me and my boyfriend, we've been praying together. Or I take great pride in the fact that I've been coming to church by myself for the past 10 years. I take pride in the fact that I've been praying for my neighbors and I've been spending time with them. I take pride in the fact that, that I've not looked at porn in months. Or that I've been reading the scriptures. Or that I've been walking in my spiritual gifts. That we all have different things that God is doing in us and that we take pride in. And I really believe that it's good to celebrate these things, to own these things. You see, but I think Paul is speaking into something much deeper here. That so often we will try to find our worth based on those things. We try to find our worth and our value at the core based on what we have done, on what we have accomplished, on what we are doing or what we are not doing. And I think Paul writes this letter to the Gentiles, many Gentiles in the first century are reading this letter. He, he writes this letter to us and he says, remember Christ. Danielle and Becca, remember Christ. JD, remember Christ. Take the most pride 
in Christ, Carly. That when you were far away from God, Matthew, Christ came and found you. And all the privileges that you now enjoy, and we're going to get there in just a minute, all the things that you enjoy because of, of Christ, Sarah, they've been open to you because of what he's done for you. That your devotion and your discipline and our good works, they are very pleasing to God. The scripture is emphatic about that, that God sees your hard labor. He sees the things that you sow. He sees your generosity. He sees the way that you care, the way that you press in despite adversity in the enemy. He sees your love and your devotion and your commitment to him and his kingdom. He sees it. He says one day we'll stand before him and we will, we will, he, will, he will acknowledge the things that we've done in the body. He sees your faithful labor. But those things did not get us in. Those things are not what found us. Those things are not what brought the fire into our lives. He looks at the Gentiles and he says, remember that Christ found you. That when you were a girl in California growing up, Christ, he came and he found you. And your parents, they raised you in church. And, and it wasn't that you were just such a good person. Christ came and he found you in the, in the pew. And he rescued you and he saved you. And remember Christ. And for the Jews, I want to talk about verse 15 just for a minute. You know, God gave the Old Testament. He gave the commands, the, literally the first half of our Bible. He, he gave this to the Jewish people to set them apart so that they would be holy. But here's the problem. They didn't keep the commands. And the law and the commands were good. They were intended for good. I love what Tim Keller says, one of my favorite preachers. He says that the Old Testament, the covenant, it was a thing of beauty. It was comprehensive. It wasn't just about spiritual things. It was about hygiene. It was about disease. And what you see as you read through the Old Testament, if you can get through the, the drudgery of it, the hardness of it, is that God was trying to teach the Jewish people how to live the best way. But because they were humans, because they were like you and I, their hearts were bent on rebellion. They didn't want to follow God's way. They were unable to keep, they were unable to achieve what God desired, what God asked for. And in the midst of their rebellion, Christ came. And here's what hit me about the Jews I think he's writing to them and he's saying, you need to understand, Jews, that, that you need more than a spiritual pedigree. And you need more than head knowledge. And you need more than the answers to get into the kingdom of heaven. You need Christ. And so many of us, we still live in that place that we think that, that we're good with God, that we're okay with God because of the pedigree because we have the answers. You know, Andrew and I were in California a couple weeks ago, and in between uh, the, the sessions before the conference got started, we were walking on the beach, and we met this group of guys, this, this man from Alaska, this man from Taiwan. I don't know where the other guy was from, and they invited us over to where they were sitting. They're like, hey, do you guys want to smoke? And we're like, no, we don't want to smoke. But we walked over to them, and we realized it was not a cigarette that they were offering us to smoke. And they're rolling a joint in the middle of the beach, and um, I'm like, 
man, I appreciate your hospitality that, you know, that you would open up your, your collection to Andrew and I, and we're kind of talking, you know, we, we can learn something from these people. And uh, anyway, we start having this conversation about the Lord. Ask this guy from Alaska, you know, what he believes in. Ask this guy from Taiwan what he believes in, and his answer was just intriguing. You know, we, we told him that they were, we were there for we were this, this Christian conference. We were talking. He's like, oh, man. He's like, my mom was a devout. She's a devout Roman Catholic. He's like, I've, I've read the Bible. I've read the Old Testament. And it stopped there. As I've been thinking about that conversation, what I realized is that so often that, that we think if, if, if we just read, if, if someone in our family had great faith, that we're just automatically good with God. And Paul looks at Gentiles and Jews and he says, you are not good with God until Christ came. But when his blood was shed and when he conquered the grave on that Sunday morning, everything changed. And I think what we see of Jesus in Ephesians 2 is two things, that he came for two reasons, so that all people, Jew and Gentile, people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, could be fully reconciled with God. And the second is this, so that the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, between those who were in and those who were out, so that the favor of God wouldn't just rest on one nation, but on but on any nation that would turn to God, on any person that would step into life with Christ. Paul is inviting us for our greatest pride to be in Christ, that he died, that he rose again, that he has provided peace, that he has provided righteousness to any and all who would turn to Christ. And I love verses 18 through 22 because he doesn't talk about our pride. He talks about the privileges that we enjoy because of the people of God. He says this, for through Jesus, verse 18, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. And I love this, you know, for the Gentiles, for the nations that were not Israel, to have spent their whole life standing outside the doors wanting to get in. And for that wall to fall. To be able to experience the intimacy, the blessing, the presence of God, having friendship with God, like the Jewish people always had, this is a very big deal. And we take it for granted. And it wasn't that the Gentiles were becoming Jewish. No, God was doing something new, something different. Christ came, and it allowed all people of all cultures to bring their beauty and their preferences and their cultures into this family. Do you see what God is doing in Ephesians 2? He's making a family where everyone didn't look the same, and they weren't supposed to. God was making a multi-ethnic family uniting people in Jesus from all over the world so that people in Lisbon, Portugal, in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, in Baghdad, Iraq, in Nashville, Tennessee, 
that although we have different cultures and languages and preferences, we could find unity in the fact that we share God as Father because of, work, because of the work of Jesus' Son, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Do we realize that every person in this world has access to God the Father because of Jesus' the Son? Last Wednesday, our, our staff does this every Wednesday morning. We get together and we pray before our, our work day. And just kind of realize that, that so many of, of you, you're in the working world. You don't have the ability to gather with your coworkers. And, and we use this time to, to pray for our church, to pray for you. To take advantage of this opportunity that God has given to us to, 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 to bring you before his throne. And I was just thinking about how amazing it is that, that on Wednesday morning that we could just start praying and that the most powerful, influential being in the entire world would hear us. If you tried to get a hold of the president of the United States or the president of Russia or of North Korea, do you think in your best effort today you could even get a hold of them? That's a challenge. I challenge you. <laughs> and this isn't just a privilege that we enjoy. That every person, because of Jesus, has access to the Father. And Paul wants us to understand that although he is powerful, the most powerful being in the entire world, he wants us to know him as Father. I love that he says we are members of his household. My kids, our kids, they have access to Courtney and I. Anytime. And we brought our children into this world so that we could love them and provide for them and have relationship with them. Why would, God, why would we think that God created us or the person beside us or the person that we'll see at SATCO today? Why would we think that God created them for anything else? That he wants us to be in his family. I love that he says you're no longer foreigners and strangers, you're fellow citizens. You know, it can be, it can be fun to be foreigner for a while. You know, if you travel to, to be in a different country, to not be known, to experience new people and new food and new cultures and new architecture, but the reality is that no one wants to be a foreigner permanently. No one wants to be a stranger. No one doesn't want to know anyone. And I love what Jesus is telling us here through Ephesians 2. He says, in, in me, in my family, you belong. And you're known and just like a citizen of a country with all the rights and the privileges, you think about all the things that you enjoy because you're a citizen of a country. The right to vote and drive and pursue dreams. And Paul's saying, you have every opportunity as every other believer. You belong in the kingdom of God as much as anyone. As much as Abraham, as much as Hannah, as much as David, as much as Paul as much as any other believer around the world. And I go, what will we do with that? What will we do with the privileges that we've been given in the kingdom of God to be citizens in God's country? Not America, but the kingdom of God. 
the bigger thing that God is doing. Do you realize that together, and so often we think so small, that together with a church in Africa and South America and Asia and Europe and Australia and the rest of North America, that we are united. That we are joined together. We are family because of Jesus. Now, thinking about this, what does this mean for us on a, on a macro level and on a micro level? On a macro level, I think a, uh, something that we can take from Ephesians 2 is that, is that we would just start praying for, for Christians all over the world. Court and I have some friends that are moving to the Middle East this summer. They sent us this uh, magnet to put on our refrigerator and they're just kind of reading over the things that they want us to pray for. And it was so beautiful. They said, hey, we want you to pray for a discipleship movement in the Middle East. That people would encounter Jesus through dreams, that, that Muslim people would, would encounter Jesus through dreams and visions and through faithful witness. And I thought, man, have I ever even thought to pray for the believers in the Middle East who are trying to share their faith? Have I ever even cared? Or when the nightly news comes on, do I just kind of roll my eyes and go, yeah, there's turmoil in the Middle East. There always has been, there always will be. Do we care about our brothers and sisters all over the world? Start praying for them. Last Sunday night, the prayer gathering, you know, once a month, we're going to start praying for the nations. And it was so crazy. I came in last Sunday night just tired and exhausted. And it was beautiful because we just spent about an hour and 50 minutes just praying for different nations and praying for the different continents. And I found myself praying for Australia, where Matthew's from, and just caring about people. Many of them I'll never meet or never see. And it's crazy what happens when we'll start to think about the bigger body of Christ and not just our local little church here. The macro, the micro. What does it mean for us, on a small level, us as a local community? My hope for my children is that, is that they would play together. They'd learn from each other. They would teach each other. I want to invite us to start praying specifically. You can start praying for this. That God would give us Marathon, Ethos. That he would give us other churches in Nashville. Specifically churches of other ethnicities that we can partner with. That we can learn from. That we can go after the lost in this city with been reading 2 Corinthians this week, and it's so powerful is that Paul's writing this letter to this church in Corinth. And what you see was happening back then is that churches in um, Macedonia, churches all over that Paul's ministry was effective in, some of them were thriving and some of them were struggling. And the beauty in 2 Corinthians is that they're beginning to work together. That the rich churches were sending resources to the poor churches and the, and the spiritual churches, the ones that, that were full of the Holy Spirit, that were walking in this spiritual authority, were, were speaking into the churches that were, 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 were missing out. And you just see this picture of the body of Christ, the, the complete and united body of Christ caring for one another. 
And there are churches in Nashville that need to teach us some things. And we don't have it all figured out. And we don't have all the answers. But I guarantee you that there are churches down the street that have answers to our questions. There are things that, that we need to learn. And let's start praying that God would start uniting the churches in Nashville. In Mighty Ducks, the breakthrough came when they started playing for the name that was on the front of the jersey instead of the name that was on the back. And I think for too long, we as Christians, myself included, we have, we have celebrated and we have played for the name that's on the back of the jersey. We've played for our denomination. We've played for ourselves. And we've played more for, for that, for our particular church, for ethos, than we have the name of Christ, the name of his united church. And it starts with us. Where will we find our greatest pride? What will we do with the privileges that's been given to us as a people of God? I'll end with this. I wish Pat McAnally was here this morning. He's one of my buddies. Um, talking about this whole racial um, kind of reconciliation. We, we had a conversation several months ago about what our, our church is, this, our body, that we, we're not okay the way that we look, that the kingdom of heaven is not, you know, this color, that it's way more multi-ethnic than this, and we're not okay with that. And, and I told you that I was just committed to reading and pursuing, and so um, Patrick gave me this book by this guy named Ta Nahisi Coates, and it's this book called Between the World and Me, and it's just this powerful, eye-opening book. He's not a Christian, and I, I hope he becomes a Christian because he's this brilliant man. And my eyes were just opened more for what it was like for this African-American man to grow up in the, the projects in Baltimore. And I found myself reading this book and just caring. Just caring. And I don't have all the answers. But I know that one of the ways that, that God will use us is if you and I will be committed to walking in this the racial healing, the, the multi-ethnic becoming of the church in Nashville, our church. Caring about people that don't look like us. Andrew and I were walking through the airport last week. And I noticed that, and this is, I'm not trying to, I don't, I'll just tell the story and I'm not going to preface it. Notice that out of all the people that, that went through security line was this um, woman that was from the Middle East. Made her take off her, her hat and made her take off her sweatshirt. And just to see like the, the way that she was like being patted down and and I realized that I've never walked through the airport and that those things happened to me. Another one of my friends from Puerto Rico, he said, it's so crazy. Every time I walk through the airport, I get randomly selected. And Andrew and I just stood there and we, we waited. And I'm like, I got to say something. I don't know what I'm going to say, but she walked over to us and I said, ma'am, I said, you know, what's your name? And I said, I'm so sorry about that. don't know what to do. I just want you to know that I'm sorry. 
And nothing came to the conversation. She just kind of laughed it off. It was not a big deal to her. Do we care? Do we really believe that as a people of God, we've been given privileges to know God, to have access, to be included? And how will we leverage our lives for him? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for these men and women and these children that are here today. We just pray, God, that you would make us like you. You would forgive us of all of our sin, the things that we've done intentionally and unintentionally. God, the things that bring us great shame and great pain and heartache, that you would forgive us that as we take this bread and drink this cup, that you would meet us, that you would heal us, that you would forgive us. We love you, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. We celebrate you. In your name we pray. Amen.